This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back you're listening to the times red box politics podcast with me patrick mcguire yes matt Chorley is on an extended summer holiday so you're stuck with me but today we're discussing who exactly the 160,000 tory members who'll pick our next prime minister are and what they want from this bitter leadership race but first as ever we'll speak to two of our favorite columnists libby purvis and carol lewis the columnists on times radio today we have libby purvis and carol lewis uh how are you both doing you yeah. enjoy you enjoying oh. you, neither of you on holiday unlike matt Chorley. No, next week for me. Next week. You'll be delighted to hear, Libby, that I'm about to chair our own debate on the Tory leadership. So let's get straight into that, shall we? What have you, what have you both made? Carol, what have you made of the sort of quite unseemly bidding war over the weekend? Both candidates vying to be more right-wing than the other. You know, you've got Liz Truss saying she wants to do Rwanda-style deals with other countries and Sunak saying he wants to house migrants on cruise ships. I mean, you know, is this at all convincing or seemly for both candidates? Uh, no, um, no. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, I mean, Boris Johnson looms large, doesn't he? I mean, I wouldn't say he's backstreet, backseat driving, but he's very much there. and trust, Setting the tone. Very the much setting the tone. And then we've got this petition, I don't know how many thousands have signed it now, of, of Tories who want to keep Boris in power. So, so both candidates are now suddenly frozen and we can't go too far off piste. We've got to stay close. And so the only place that um, trust is attacking is on the economy because Boris has the anyone but Sunak mantra. So mm. if she criticises anything else, she's criticising Boris. So she's only going really hard on the economy. But they both suddenly realise actually what the membership cares about are things like immigration. It's, it's right up there. But I, none of the proposals I saw this weekend really stand much of a chance of, of coming in. They're mm. going to be mired in legal wrangles forever. I don't, I don't think they're well, realistic like they're in any way. Absolutely. And she says, oh, well, well, we'll go to other countries. But already several other countries have just said no, no, no. Well, exactly. I remember, you know, before Rwanda, it was Albania, it was yeah. Moldova. Turkey. It was, well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, St. Helena. <laughs> you know, it was basically, uh, you know, spin a globe and stick a pin in it in the, uh, in the home office, I think, and then try and negotiate with the country. They all said no. Libby, do you, do you find this at all? You know, because these, you know, Liz Truss, was initially a sort of middle of the road Cameroon. Rishi Sunak, uh, you know, voted for Brexit, but is not by any definition. Uh, nobody looks at him and think you're a, 
you know, a, a great right wing radical. Do you, do, you, do, you, do, you find, do you find this all a bit sort of embarrassing? They're, they're sort of, Keir Starmer has a, uh, has a, he's just up in Liverpool right now. He's accusing both of them of trying to imitate Margaret Thatcher. Is this all sort of, you know, pantomime for you? Well, what I find really depressing is the fact, I mean, you've got to remember the electorate they know themselves to be addressing, which mm. is now no longer the MPs. It is the uh, uh, Conservative Party members across the country. And I think inaccurately, despite that weird Boris petition, I think they have an inaccurate idea in their minds of a really nasty bunch of really clenched, very right wing, very xenophobic um, very anxious, uh, you know, very self-interested people. That is what they are thinking their electorate is. And, I mean, I know members of the Conservative Party, I'm sorry to have to admit this, but yes, we do mix sometimes, and they are really, really not like that. There's much mm. more of a centrist and liberal and thoughtful, you know, a number of people who, who became Conservatives, whether they joined or not, who, because they were appalled by Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and so I think, uh, I find it terribly depressing that they are both pushing these buttons and thinking that that is what will work. And uh, as Carol rightly points out, most of this stuff is completely pie in the sky. Uh, neither of them has got the bottle to say, actually, one of the easy ways to prevent some of the, 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 the tragic channel crossing uh, business is to make us less attractive as a black economy country, is to have ID cards for work. But the moment you say ID cards, you know, a lot of old-fashioned people sort of fan themselves and clutch their pearls and fall over. Um, you know, but they don't talk about the small practical things which could be done like that. They talk about prison ships and whether prison, and then, then you get trust saying, oh, well, the prison ships have been coastal resorts and nobody would like them. You know, one of my supporters saying that this morning. And, and the whole China thing is fascinating. We mm. should absolutely be thinking deeply and interestedly and cautiously and cleverly about China. And instead, you just get, oh, no, you let the Chinese into the universities. Well, no, actually, you know, it's your, all your fault. I think they, they are addressing an imaginary, I hope imaginary, and horrible lot of people. And that is what's making it so <laughs> unprepossessing to watch. Yeah, totally, totally. I, you know, I posed this question in my Redbox Morning email this morning. I said, you know, if there are any members of the Conservative Party reading, please make yourself known. Partly as a, you know, because there are so few Tory members, I, I thought... Uh, you know, there probably aren't. There may be a couple, but I got dozens of emails back, as you say, from a very diverse range of people. I even got an email back saying, you know, I'm a swing voter, but I joined the Conservative Party precisely mm -hmm. as you said to uh, to oppose Jeremy mm -hmm. Corbyn's Labour. So clearly, they are a much more uh, heterodox uh, bunch than you know these very reductive, very right wing policy offers mm -hmm. perhaps give them credit for. And that does make you wonder whether all these polls with very small sample sizes might actually be off and, you know, should Rishi Sunak get, get up tonight in Stoke, Carol, and outperform well, I think, Liz Truss? Well, I, 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 I think Rishi, with his, his comments about the immigration thing, the asylum ships, is losing himself voters who liked him as a clever, intelligent, cautious, hard-working chancellor. You know, they liked him. The moment he starts talking this stuff, then a lot of them will say, actually, no, no, can't bear them, you know, terrible. And, you know, you talk about the lack of, say, concrete policy issues on under discussion here. Carol, there hasn't really been much detailed discussion of housing and whether the Tories can solve that sort of perennial housing issue. Liz Truss, uh, the only thing she said is that she wants to do away with Stalinist housing targets, which I think is the first time anyone's called the Department for <laughs> uh, Housing and Levelling Up 
Stalinist uh, and wants to scrap local authority housing targets and replace them with incentives to build house building. Rishi Sunak wants to build up cities and on brownfield sites. But again, do you think this is all sort of posturing for the benefit of Tory members and they're not engaging with the real issue, the real difficult questions that you think a government with a majority of 80 would, which is, you know, perhaps we might have to build on the green belt or do something difficult? Yes, yes. I think, I think absolutely. I think it, it, we're just going around in circles, build on brownfield, increase density, get rid of the targets. Um, and in my column uh, this weekend, I pointed out that we actually give enough permissions for more than 300,000 homes a year. It's, it's not a problem getting the planning permission, but we're just not building them. So mm. we have to look at what's happening in between the planning permission and the actual build-out. And we have to have a bigger funnel, which means we're going to have to... Um, give permission for more houses than 300,000, which is going to be unpopular. But we are going to have to make some unpopular choices in all these areas. And it's no good just keep touting the same things over and over again. Brownfield, increased density. Things that have been proven not to... Or successive governments... Well, they haven't worked so far. So, that, I mean, the government's exactly, been in 12 years governments could worked. press that, you know, mm. solve these unpopular policy issues with popular yes. solutions, easy solutions like brownfield, it would have happened already, right? Yes, yes. I mean, the brownfield sites are not where the people want to live. And that's, that's one of our big problems. We need to build where people want to live. We need to build a variety of tenures. It can't just all be private homes for sale. We've got a problem in the developers will, of course, only build out and release enough houses that they make the money back on the land they bought. It's the land that costs all the money. We've also got looming problems with labour, I mean, as we have across uh, the market, but we have, particularly in building as well, we don't, we've got to embrace modular quicker because we just don't have the brickies, the tradesmen. We've got, to, we've got to start thinking a bit more. We keep touting around these terms and then just not actually grasping the nettle and doing it. Libby, do you think it's time for Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss to get up in Stoke at nine o'clock tonight and say, listen, I'll level with you guys as much as I want to build on uh, you know, disused petrol stations or factories. It's actually time to build a few hundred thousand houses on the green belt and we're all going to have to get over it if we want to uh, have a new generation of property owners who vote Tory. I, I don't think there's a slightest chance of either of them standing up and saying anything remotely like that. I mean, quite apart from the uh, Carol for Housing Minister, which, which is a campaign I'm It's a campaign this show is going to um, pursue with some uh, vigour, yeah. One of the things I'm fascinated by is this whole business of, of modular building, you know, the um, flat pack, you know, the Norwegian thing. I actually live in a 1947 flat pack house. It's absolutely wonderful. It's sort of Swedish flat pack. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can put up an awful lot of these. You can create, you can make them in bulk. And as Carol says, if there, if there is the land... You can create all sorts of fascinating new housing things, and we just don't have it. You know, we have these property developers absolutely stuck in their dreadful, penny-pinching, petrol-cladding, lethal, old-fashioned ways, just raking in the money. I, I think the the developers need looking at. I wish we had a national, you know, brilliantly run development. Um, organisation, you know, which actually was in charge of building houses where they should be, you know, rather than this, this desperate uh, big money chase thing. And ironically, um, uh, Libby, we've actually got some huge modular housing factories. We've got a huge one outside yeah. Leeds, the LNG one. It's just not getting the commissions. Yeah, it's absolutely. not it, this, being used. This is, this, this is absolutely what, what we need is, is a whole sort of new new look at it all. Um, and that just doesn't happen. And of course, one of the reasons is that enormous developers tend to be very tight with certain politicians. Uh, you know, we've seen examples of that in the past. I was rather encouraged by my most left wing, and I believe me, extreme left wing friend, <laughs> tweeting the other day, Rishi Sunak, 
now this could be the miracle here's a man he's too rich to be bought and I thought that was a fascinating idea you know that actually this might be somebody who's so rich himself that he would be able to face down some of the big money and certainly not ever want you know post post parliament jobs of his own that was Libby Purvis and Carol Lewis on the big issues at stake in the Tory leadership race. Coming up next, the people who'll decide it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This is Patrick Maguire. You're listening to Redbox Politics Podcast, and now it's time for this. A big thing on Times Radio. Yes, for the second time in just three years, they're about to pick our Prime Minister for us. But who exactly are the 160,000 Tory members who'll spend the next six weeks weighing up Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak? Yes, they're the people who gave us Boris Johnson and before that, David Cameron. Party membership may well be a minority sport in this country, but these hobbyists are more powerful than ever. But after Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, is that right? And are the Tory faithful really all blue rinse and pale, male and stale? Or, as allies of David Cameron so famously put it, mad, swivel-eyed loons. Coming up, we'll speak to the man who makes it his business to know what Conservative members think about everything. Henry Hill, a friend of this show and Deputy Editor of Conservative Home. And Charlotte Pohl, the Director of Women to Win, who aims to get more women into Parliament for the Conservative Party. But first, let's speak to a man who knows this membership and indeed the membership of every political party better than everybody. Professor Tim Bale, uh, Professor of Politics at Queen Mary University of London and author of Foot Foot Soldiers, Party Political Membership in the 21st Century. Fantastic book if you've not uh, already read it or, you know, you're not as sad as I am. Tim, morning. Good morning. So let's start at first principles here, Tim. Can you paint a picture for me of the average Tory member because we all have one in our heads and indeed Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss appear to, you know, retired colonel, uh, lives in the home counties, probably drives in a pair of leather gloves. He gets the telegraph every morning and has a member of domestic staff to iron it, uh, you know, wishes that 
uh, you know, people wouldn't swear in public and, uh, you know, a sort of saloon bar bore. Am I generalising to the point of inaccuracy? I think you probably are, Patrick, but uh, I, I do like that picture. The the average is is obviously always difficult because there is, you know, a variation. But uh, let's start with age. The average age is, uh, as far as our research shows, late 50s. Um, and uh, about four out of 10 are probably over 65. Um, when it comes to class, it's always difficult to measure. But if you use the um, kind of proxy, which is that ABC1, um, C2DE um, divide, you find that about 80% of them fall into the ABC1. So they're pretty comfortably off, but they're not necessarily uh, super rich. Uh, as to where they live, uh, well, uh, disproportionately in southern England, rather than uh, in the Midlands and the north, around 40% of them live in southern England outside London. And if you uh, add London in, then over half of them live in, in the south of England. Um, as far as their ethnicity goes, um, about 96, 97% uh, white, but that's actually not that unusual. I have mm. to say anyone who thinks that uh, there's a lot of ethnic minority involvement in British politics, at least at the membership level, uh, is is mistaken because the figure for, for Labour is, is only just over 90% in any case. So, you know, broadly speaking, you know, we, we have an idea of what the Conservative Party membership looks like, but with the proviso that, of course, there is variation within that. There are, for example, some young people, uh, and Henry will know this, uh, in, in the Conservative Party membership. You know, it might be fewer than 10 percent age 24 and under, but there are some. Yeah. So, you know, broadly, white, a bit whiter, a bit older, uh, a bit more affluent than the population at large, but it's not quite the Blue Rinse Brigade of legend. No, and I, and I think that's also true when you come to, you know, their values, their policy preferences. Um, it's, it's true to say that they are pretty socially conservative, particularly on things like law and order and on immigration. And you can certainly see when, you know, you look at, um, you know, their priorities um, at the moment, that immigration comes up um, far more than it does for the, the general public. Um, but when it comes to the economy, um, they're not quite as far to the right as some people imagine. Yes, they want lower taxes. Yes, they want to be, uh, you know, they want uh, state spending to be, um, you know, carefully looked after. But they do value uh, public services, particularly the NHS, not least, obviously, because some of them are probably quite heavy users of it as, as they're getting on. Uh, and also the police and, and to some extent schools as well. So uh, I, I don't think we want to go um, too far in believing that they are incredibly uh, right wing and unusual in that respect. Indeed, you know, in terms of social values, they're actually quite like a lot of um, people who uh, a voted for the Conservatives in, in 2019 and switched from Labour to the Conservatives in 2019. The thing that really makes them stand out ideologically is their support for Brexit. Um, around you know, 75 to 80 percent of them will have voted to leave in 2016. And that's obviously a lot higher than the general population. And Henry Hill, let me bring you in, because as Tim says, um, you are a young man. Um, and, you know, <laughs> remarkably, you, you, uh, you're, you've been known to jive to a bit of house music on your weekends. You're not, you know, if you bumped into you in the street, I think uh, uh, most people would think you were a, uh, you know, not so... Not to typecast you, Henry. I think what was it? A viewer of Newsnight once said you looked like a bouncer, but spoke like a uh, 
spoke like, like a lad, sound like a posho. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you know, you are uh, in some respects an unusual Tory member. Uh, but why, Henry, should you have any more of a say? And obviously, there's a constitutional answer to this question. But why should you get a say over our next prime minister? And you know, I'm looking at the gallery. Why shouldn't producer Chloe or or Andrew, our our, uh, our tech op for today, why, why why shouldn't they? And obviously the answer is, you know, that we have a party system in this country. But it didn't used to be the case. It was only 2001 when Tory members got to elect their leader for the first time. And that, that gave you Ian Duncan-Smith. So why, you know, should you uh, elect a Tory leader when you don't have a peerless track record, do you? No, we don't. Although I suppose the answer to that would be that the MPs don't exactly have a flawless track record either. <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, you know, constitutionally what happens is it is entirely down to the MPs and the MPs make a decision to delegate the final two to the Tory membership. Now, there is a perfectly principled case to be made against members of Parliament delegating decision making, although in my experience it tends to be made a lot more against, say, this or the EU referendum than against devolution or quangos or any of that but fundamentally the, the original purpose of the of the decision by William Hague was precisely to encourage party membership because participation is important party membership has been declining on all sides um, for decades and the idea was that provided that the the final two were both acceptable to Tory MPs and I think that was the advantage our system has over the Labour system, which allowed someone like Jeremy Corbyn to go through, despite not having um, the support of nearly enough MPs to but, really form a, a, but, a viable government. But Henry, then, I guess, if you, sorry to interrupt, but if you look at it now, that's fine if you're, say, Boris Johnson in 2019. You win a clear majority among MPs. You can, you're, you're well ahead, uh, even in the first round of voting. If either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak wins... Rishi Sunak has just under the support of just under four in ten. Liz Truss doesn't even have the support of a third of Tory MPs. So really, you know, that doesn't apply in this case, does it? Whoever wins will have the support of a minority of MPs and will uh, you'll have a divided party regardless. Well, but that has nothing to do with the membership because that is simply the that is simply the balance of power within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. I think this is important to emphasise is that there, the ca- the case to be made against the membership vote is if say you had one candidate who won two thirds or more of MPs, one candidate who won one third was actually not acceptable, and then they won. But in this case, what you've got is, and it's definitely a problem for the Conservative Party, is you have two camps of MPs who appear genuinely just to detest the other side's candidate. They're taking lumps out of each other, and neither of them commands a, uh, has a commanding position amongst MPs. Now, Tory members will pick one or the other, but the, what you just said, and it does seem to be accurate, is that neither candidate actually commands that overwhelming support that say Boris Johnson did in 2019. Now that means that it's not actually the the members ballot there isn't the problem. The problem is the first stage which has produced these two candidates and produced this dynamic. Ultimately the members can only choose between the candidates that are put to them by the by the MPs. It is up it is the in my view, the constitutional responsibility of the MPs if they're going to take if they're going to adopt the system to make sure that they would be happy to serve under both the people who get into the final two. If they haven't done that, then the problem is actually with the MP round rather than the membership round. Yes, yes. Well, I don't, you don't, but unless you're a Conservative member, of course. We've just been talking about the 160,000 people who will decide our next Prime Minister, who they are and whether it's right they wield so much power. And indeed, 
what they care about. We've been hearing from Henry Hill, Deputy Editor of the City of Home, and Professor Tim Bale, expert on Tory party membership. And we're going to bring in Charlotte Pohl, Director of Women to Win, who aims to diversify the Tory party as well. But first, just briefly, Henry, you at Conhome, you're the Bible for Tory activists. We all take you as gospel. You regularly survey these members. And I'll ask this same question of you, Tim, but... If you were to pick three issues, and perhaps we'll have already picked this up from the announcements Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have made as we approach the day um, ballots start to drop in inboxes and on doormats, three issues that the Tory grassroots will uh, care about more than anything else, hit me. What what are the three issues you go into your average Tory association and say, what are you most animated about? What What's the, what's the man at the bar telling me? Well, it's hard to... I... I don't know if I could boil it down to three discrete issues as opposed to a, Tim's, a general worldview. But I think the general the general problem for this leadership campaign is that they're angry that after 12 years of conservative government, this isn't a more conservative country. Now, that touches on all sorts of issues. It mm. touches on the shape on tax and the economy. It touches on cultural questions. It touches on immigration. So I guess that would be my my three, but it would vary person to person. But there's a general sense that Compared to, say, where Britain was after between 1997 and the end of New Labour in 2010, you know, this is a country which has been under a Conservative-led government in one shape or another for a long time, and yet it still seems to be going in in one direction. And I think you can really see how this is colouring the leadership contest, because what your Rishi Sunak's campaign in particular is making this case for pick the candidate who win the next election, who has the best chance of winning the next election. We're the Conservatives. That's what we're known for. You know, our priority is always staying in power. And you've just got this sense amongst activists now of anger and why? Why do we want to win? You know, we've done all of this. We, we, we secured a historic landslide a few years ago, haven't really done anything with it. We secured several victories before that, not really not really done much with that. So why should we be so animated about returning somebody who's going to win the next election if they're, if they're still not going to do very much to make Britain a more conservative country? So I think that's, at this point, the sort of animating vibe, if you like, of the grassroots members. All politics is vibes, is something you, I hear a lot from people uh, in Westminster. Tim, you're going into a local Tory association, you're at the bar, you turn to whoever it is who stood next to you. What are the three issues that they're most animated about? Well, I think the cost of living does uh, impact on Conservative Party members. And you can see in the YouGov polling of them recently that this is a big issue uh, for them. Uh, I do think uh, tax cuts uh, is, is a big one for them as well. So uh, I guess that's why Liz Truss and to a lesser extent uh, Rishi Sunak are talking about that. And as I've said before, immigration um, does matter a great deal to them. So, uh, you know, the, the issue of small boats coming across the channel uh, is a big one for them. It's not an unimportant issue for most voters, but it really has slipped down uh, the league table as far as most voters are concerned. And yet for Conservative Party members, it's still very much a live issue. Charlotte Pohl, Director of Women to Win, let's bring you in now. In a sense, you know, we are looking at, as members, you know, gear up to elect their second prime minister in two years. This is the only point of uh, David Cameron's modernisation programme that really sort of failed because Michael Howard in 2005 wanted to abolish this round of the, the Tory leadership campaign because, you know, like lots of people around then, indeed Women to Win was founded around then, wasn't it? He recognised that the Tory party membership wasn't particularly diverse. The Tory parliamentary party wasn't particularly diverse. And if you want to turn and look to the country... Perhaps, you know, making, throwing red meat towards uh, 
uh, a body of people that, as Tim has said, uh, is whiter, older and richer than the rest of the country. And that's particularly more acute now. Uh, the Tories have got so many seats in, in the Red Wall. Um, you know, perhaps it doesn't re- reflect the diversity of the country. Would you, would you say that's about right? Um, no, I, th- I think it probably doesn't reflect the diversity of the country. But I do think that I, I can't speak for the other members of the party, but certainly our members of Women to Win, who mm. are all members of the party, are definitely um, calling on the leaders to, um, in their um, contest, contest um, to enact some sort of mechanism by which we can improve diversity. And we've heard a lot of talk from a lot of leaders about how to improve women on the green benches, but nothing is actually ever done. And so our members certainly um, would like the leaders to commit to to some form of change. And do you think, um, you know, the, the what you've heard from the leadership candidates so far, um, you know, do you think there is a risk that they're pitching too hard. Look, everybody, you have to know how to count in politics. That's, you know, the, the dictum uh, Lyndon B. Johnson used to hold to, you know, num- number one rule of politics, you know, have to know how to count. But that, do you think there is a risk that in pitching to Tory members as hard as they are right now, it's difficult for Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak to turn to face the country and, and make, you know, the more difficult decisions any government will have to? Um, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what cabinets they put together. We'll have to see what uh, what form their leadership takes when they actually um, uh, win, as the case may be for either of them. I just couldn't comment at this stage. But do you think the, you know, so you're not concerned that this is, uh, you know, a pale and, you know, clearly you've got lots of members in, in Women to Win and the, the diversity of the party has improved. Look at the parliamentary party and the MPs who elected in 2019 and and certainly under David Cameron it's certainly improving but do you think a leadership election with the tone this one has had will make it difficult for previous uh, next leaders to continue that work? Uh, I I I think that the the membership that we have yes it is not necessarily would choose a leader who the women twin membership may choose um, the and and that's not just because it's male, but I think some of the older um, uh, female members are also inclined to vote towards um, something that they're familiar with, which tends mm. to be a man. Um, so you know, we'll we'll have to see, but um, definitely we need to find a way to encourage younger people into the party and more diverse people into the party, so that. When this happens again, which at the rate we're going will be in the next couple of years, we're in a better position to perhaps uh, reflect um, the views of, of the wider general population. I'm interested, do older female members not remember, venerate, yearn for the return of, a, you know, a, in this case, a third iteration of, of Mrs Thatcher rather than voting for a man? Um, it tends to be that uh, uh, historically they prefer um, voting for men. Really? Uh, Yes, yes. Um, It it seems to be it's a generational thing rather than Mm. a gender thing. It's interesting, actually, now you mention it, I think it's a certain generation of Tory men who have the... They all have the thing about... Mrs. T or, or, or Mummy, as a lot of them uh, nauseatingly call them. Henry Hill, let's bring you back in. Um, you know, we've just talked about, you know, had a whistle-stop tour of who these members are, what they think, what they believe, whether they're diverse enough. But 
what is what is, what is your latest survey saying on the state of the race? We've had another YouGov uh, poll over the weekend that has Liz Truss not just ahead among Tory members by 24 points, but by Tory voters, among Tory voters rather, by four points. Um, is Rishi Sunak facing not so much uh, an uphill struggle here, but a Himalayan trek? Is he going to end up like George Mallory on the uh, on the side of the mountain, never to be seen again? Yeah, well, our, our, our last survey, um, which is about a week ago now, also found Rishi Sunak behind. So he's clearly got a, a deficit to make up with the membership. I think it is telling, though, that um, Liz Truss's supporters in the press over the weekend absolutely kicking off about the fact that the the way that CCHQ is running the leadership race is allowing people basically to cast two ballots and only the second one will count because they're running a postal and an online system. And um Charles' supporters are worried that uh, if, if people are able to vote later in the contest as opposed to earlier, that might uh, erode the lead that she currently has at the start of the campaign, which I think says something about what they think might happen during the campaign if you if you look at it a certain way. But yeah, Rishi, Rishi has, a, has a problem in that he is widely viewed as Mr. High Taxes, mm. which isn't popular. And... And what the man who saw, brought down Boris Johnson, of course. And the man who saw... Well, I, I don't know if that's actually that much of a problem, to be honest. I mean, obviously, Boris Johnson's diehard supporters will be will be gunning for him and he'll have to deal with that. But but look at um, look at the polling for, say, Kemi Badnock, who also resigned from the government and helped bring down Boris Johnson. That wasn't a problem. Um, the other the other woman who polled very well in the early stages of the contest was Penny Morden, who never even served in Boris Johnson's cabinet. Mm. So I don't think that there's this die, this big core of diehard Johnson loyalists who are going to make this a difficult campaign. I think the problem for, for Rishi is more that what we saw with, with Kemi and Penny especially was that there was this hunger for a clean break. Now, that clean break didn't clean, seem to have a particularly strong ideological dimension, given how different those two candidacies were. But there was a push for something different. And he, having, despite the fact that he did resign, having served as chancellor, having been really the architect of the, of the economic policy of the government, which is much better known and less sort of with Tory members less popular than its foreign policy, he's a continuity candidate. And that's a hurdle that he is going to struggle to overcome, I think, because he can't exactly just disown the Treasury's policies of the last two or three years, and yet Tory members are hungry for a change. Right, I'm going to put the same question to all three of you now, starting with you, Tim Bale. Given everything we've heard over the past 20 minutes about Tory members and about how representative or not they are of the country, and given their track record in picking leaders whose tenures end badly, David Cameron, of course, won uh, two elections in one sense of the word, but they've also picked Ian Duncan Smith. They've also picked Boris Johnson, who, again, won a massive majority, but that's not ended very well. If you had a magic wand, if you were in the big chair at CCHQ, uh, would you abolish the membership round of the Tory leadership vote uh, and let MPs pick it for themselves? That's a difficult one for someone who ah. researches party members. I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't really want to commit to um, taking their rights away. But I do think there is a good argument for going back to the old system in all parties, actually, whereby MPs make the decision because they know the candidates best. And particularly, obviously, when we're picking a prime minister, um, we need to make that decision um, fairly quickly. But having said that, I can't really think of a party that has gone back on the decision to democratise the decision uh, um, in terms of party leaders. So I think it's very unlikely it will ever return to just the MPs. Charlotte Pohl, I'm not expecting you to say you'd willingly disenfranchise yourself, but <laughs> should, you, should, you, should you have the decisive say over who our next PM is? 
Well, I think Tim makes a very good point that ultimately the MPs know uh, their colleagues best and who would make the best leader amongst them, who, who would they be able to uh, follow. So I think that makes a sensible decision. But wouldn't it be great if as a country we were more engaged and we got mm. more people to um, sign up to any party and become uh, more politically active? And, and that would be fantastic if everybody joined a party and we all had to say that way. Henry Hill, uh, again... I'm not expecting you to say you're going to disenfranchise yourself as much as Charlotte will, but are you not worried you're about to elect a Tory Jeremy Corbyn and wouldn't it be better if, you know, your sensible parliamentary colleagues, sensible in several sets of inverted commas there, I think, uh, took the decision themselves? Uh, I mean, Conhoe was basically set up to save the membership ballot. So uh, it would be a bold decision for me at this point to to, to go back on that. But again, I, I, stand, I stand by what I said earlier. I think the membership round, in the, in the Tory structure specifically, with only two candidates, I think the membership round is, is broadly is broadly fine. And mm. if there is a problem with the candidates we've got, it's not Labour's free-for-all. It's a problem from the for MPs instance. round. It's not the free-for-all that saw Jeremy Corbyn elected, for instance. No, no, precisely. You know, we don't send forward five candidates and allow someone with the support of 20 MPs to become leader. Um, it's not to say you don't necessarily have problems, but if the if, if Tory members only get a choice of two people, both of whom need to have got substantial support amongst the parliamentary party, if one of those people is not acceptable to the other side supporters, that's not a problem that's arisen during the membership ballot. That's a problem that's arisen during the MP ballot, and it would persist even if we got rid of the members' ballot. That's what we've got time for on today's Redbox Politics podcast. You can hear me on Times Radio, 10am to 1pm every weekday for the next fortnight in Matt Chorley's absence. In the meantime, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.